Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you are a gracious God and that you are faithful to us and that we can know, absolutely know, that uh, that you have a place for us. This place has been provided to us. We're so grateful for it, Lord, and the fact that we can meet here. We're grateful that we're becoming too many people, that we have to look for somewhere else, but we know, Lord God, that you have gone before us in it and that you have the perfect place for us. You have the perfect plan. You know exactly what you want us to do and where you want us to focus our energy and our time. And I thank you, Father, that you do know all of that and will make that known to us. I praise you, Lord God, for this letter to the Corinthians through Paul. I thank you that it's a letter to each one of us and to us corporately as the body of Christ. And I ask you, Lord God, to help us to understand it and take it in so that our lives are changed as a result of it. And I thank you, Father, for what you will show us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's just one more thing. On our website, <coughs> there's a big... Now, when you go onto our website, you would know this if you ever go onto our website. <laughs> there's a big sign at the beginning or a banner that says, we need you, a bit like Kitchener. You know, we need you, only there's no finger pointing. Um, and it says that we need... Please think about, pray about, most specifically pray about how you might be used by the Lord in this ministry. Because... Um, I can't tell you the number of things that we could do if we had more manpower. We just don't have the people to help facilitate all of the things that we could do um, in terms of uh, ministering through the word, in the word, ministering by the word, in, um, in not just in this area, but in the whole, in the whole country. So um, everyone has something that they could bring to this ministry. And I really would like you to pray about it, think about it, and um, let us know if there's any positive result. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 to 17. Could someone read those verses, please? 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak one thing, and that there be no dissensions among you. But be ye knit together in one mind and in one judgment. For it hath been declared unto me, my brethren, of you by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you which I am Every, sorry, that every one of you said, I am of Paul's, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Was <coughs> Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Either were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christus and Gatius, lest any should say that I have baptized into my own name. I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Furthermore, know I not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Thank you. Okay, so last week we talked a lot about the first nine verses. I thought we were never going to get out of them, actually. We didn't get out of them in the, in the end. So we talked a lot about the first half of the chapter. So what does Paul do first? Just tell me about last week. What did we talk about last week? 
What does he do in this letter? He established his authority as an apostle, uh, and but he was then, um, he didn't upbraid them, he was kind to them and encouraged them. Yes, how did he encourage them? By reminding them of their days in Christ. Yeah, he reminded them who they were in Christ Jesus and what God had done, actually. We, we spent a lot of time cross-referencing those nine verses to see what God had done to give them that standing in Christ Jesus. So now he's going to go on and he's going to talk about division in the church. And every almost every New Testament letter talks about division in the church. And when you think that this church is very young, we're still first century, then you can see that, th that there's never been a time in the history of the church when there wasn't division. So when you're thinking about the church today in 2018 and you're pulling your hair out because you think, why can't we agree? Well, know this. Mm. People have never agreed. Christians have never agreed. And what Paul writes to them in this letter is, is to get them to see what exactly are they divided about and, and how uh, they, they shouldn't be divided because their division has effect not just within the body of Christ but outside too. So he asked them three questions in those verses that um, Mike read. He asked three questions and they're rhetorical questions. He's expecting a particular answer. He's expecting a no answer. So what are the questions? Because that's Paul's modus operandi. He always asks questions. And what are the three questions he asks? Has Christ, yeah, is, is Christ divided and Paul was not crucified for you, was he? And you weren't baptised in the name of Paul, were you? So what's the answer he's expecting? Not just no, but what, but he's expecting you to hear those questions and say, don't be ridiculous, of course not. Because it is ridiculous to think that Christ is divided, to think that Paul, you were baptised in the name of Paul. It's ridiculous to think about those things. But what he's saying is, they, those are the things that you're actually divided about. You're dividing about something that if I ask you a direct question, you're going to you just think it's ridiculous. So, um, what does he? Uh, why do you think they might have been divided on the issues that he's talking about? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Why do you think they might have been divided on those issues? What influences would have been affecting them? Yeah, exactly. It's part of Greek culture. Greek culture was based on the philosophical teachers of their day. Um, they would follow particular teachers and their uh, and their ideas and thinking and our culture is based on Greek thinking our culture so they were allowing the culture into their thinking and what's the other reason that they might have been divided on these issues because it's our natural tendency to follow other people Exactly. So what he's actually saying is, you've got the world, or the world you're living in, the culture is infiltrating your thinking, and also you've got your own nature infiltrating your thinking, and so that's causing division. And instead of emphasising the word of God, on the word of Christ, you're emphasising all of the other stuff. You're allowing your human tendency and the culture to influence. So what does he do? He uses two phrases in the first verse, I think, that we read there. He uses two particular words or phrases to uh, draw their attention to it. In verse 10, what, does he, what words does he use? 
same mind. Well, he uses, first of all, the word brethren. Brethren. He uses the word brethren. What does he mean by brethren? Brothers and sisters. What does it mean by brothers and sisters? One family. You're one family. How could you be divided on these stupid, ridiculous things? You're one family. What's the other word that he uses? Agree. Yeah, he agree. He uses the phrase made complete. And it means unity, unified. It means made one, made complete, made whole. So he says, uh, there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. So you be made whole, you be united, unified in the same, um, in the same mind and the same judgment. When he talks about um, uh, him baptizing people, why do you think that he's even got to say that? Why does he say, I didn't baptize anybody? Or if I did, I can only remember a couple of people. Why does he say that? Because he's entered the human world. He didn't. Pride of, of baptizing. Right. But why, were they, why would they be thinking of it? Who founded this church? Christ. No, who founded the church in Corinth? Paul. Paul. He started, yes, Christ, but he started church and he did baptize a few people and he's not saying that baptism isn't important because he thinks that it is because it's the outward uh, evidence of an inward reality but what he's saying is I'm not even remembering that because compared to the the reason for this church it's unimportant it's unimportant when I first started teaching in Sirencester it was in the old Sirencester Baptist Church you were there Pete yeah. weren't you do you remember that guy who came for the first I don't know, six weeks. Uh, I can't remember, but a guy who kept coming in and he kept walking in and he kept disrupting the class because he said, if you're not baptised in water, you're not saved. And he would not have it. He came week after week after week. And he, were you there, Linda? Exactly. And he just wouldn't stop. And it didn't matter how gracious we were or how much I showed him what I thought from the word. He just would not let it go. That is typical of the church in our day. That whole exchange that went on for weeks until he said he couldn't come back anymore because we weren't going to change our minds. It's that idea. So think about your own thinking, your own theology. Think about what you hang on to as absolute you know, sacrosanct, I'm not letting this go. This is, you know, beyond this I cannot budge. Think about the things you would die for and make a list. Yes, Alan. We're first looking for something which turned out to be Jesus. Uh, <coughs> I started to go to a beginner's group that was pre- Alpha. Alpha. Right. And we had a chap there. He was in his fifties. And he kept going on about this, that, and the other. Disturbing the whole equilibrium. Yeah. And it was dead three months later. <laughs> What are you trying to tell us there, Alan? Right? <laughs> no one's disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, anyway, look, moving on, <laughs> moving on. Um, so they're spending so much time disagreeing and, and disputing and quarrelling about these things, and he's going to point them now to the only thing that matters, the only things that, that, that should matter to us, actually, the only thing that should matter to the church down through the ages. And he's going to uh, begin it in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He's going to take that phrase, the cross of Christ, and he's going to use it synonymously with two or three other phrases in this next, um, for the rest of the chapter and into chapter two. So I'm going to read a down to, I don't know, when I stop, I'll stop. So, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater in this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So he introduces this long section which is actually going to continue in chapter 2. He introduces it by the phrase, the cross of Christ, and he uses several other phrases synonymously. So what phrases does he use? What words does he use to um, make his point about why the cross is so important? Christ crucified. Yeah, Christ crucified. So he, he's saying that the, he, the cross of Christ is synonymous with two or three other things, it's synonymous with the word of the cross. And it is synonymous with the power of the cross. And it is synonymous with the wisdom of God. So the wisdom of God is the cross of Christ. The power of God is the cross of Christ. The um, word of the cross is the cross of Christ. Is the word or the message of the cross. They're all synonymous. And what he's trying to say is that the cross of Christ is the opposite of every other type of human thinking. It's the opposite of your human nature. It's the opposite of our culture. It's the opposite of everything. That's why it's of God. And, and what he's going to talk about is the fact that they are trying to mix 
human thinking, be it their own or other people's, with God's thinking. And you cannot mix the two. You know, sometimes you listen to Oprah Winfrey or, well, you probably don't, I don't listen to her much, but you know what I mean. You know what she says and you, you see little snippets and you listen to teachers online sometimes and you hear, and, and some of them are very popular, very, very popular. And when you see them, I just think, Lord, you've given them 50,000 people in that auditorium, you know, and all that's coming out of their mouth are sound bites mm. of common sense mixed with a little bit of the word. It's a bit of common sense and a bit of the word and a bit of this and a bit of that. And it sounds right. But you know it's wrong because God's wisdom is simple and straightforward and it doesn't have a bit of this and a bit of that. It is actually the foolishness of the world. But you get so addicted to what they say. Yes. job to see the truth. Yes, it is. It is because they say it so well mm. and they have charisma. Yeah. And so... Uh, not the real charisma, <laughs> because charisma is from the Holy Spirit, but they have what we call charisma. And so you want them to be right, and you want them to listen, and you particularly see it, I'm afraid to say, you particularly see it in female teachers, because they teach women, and they're teaching emotion. They're teaching based on emotion, and on relationship, and on how you deal with relationship. And unfortunately, they're mixing your grandmother's logic or common sense, or home remedies, and, and they're mixing it with a little bit of truth from Scripture. And what's happening is people believe it and base their life on it. And it is the opposite of God's wisdom. Paul it's the opposite. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> we have to move on from those things. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I don't want to say that because... because well, obviously I don't want to say it, but it's, you know, that's what happens. A lot of the time that's what happens because there's this emotion built in, this relationship coaching, this, all of this comes in, knowing who you are. It's so important to know who you are because you have, unless you know who you are, you can't love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor and on and on and on it goes and it sounds right. Doesn't it sound right? I have to love myself before I can love you. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's the cleverness. It's the, it's the thing that sounds right to our human ears. Let me tell you, if a thing sounds right to your human ears, you can bet your bottom dollar it's wrong, according to God. Because that's the reality of this. Tell me, who would pick, who would pick the way God picked to save you? Who would choose that way? Who would choose that way? Which human thinking could you ever come up with that would say, I am going to come and I am going to live and I am going to die, not just a painful death, but the death that was reserved for the shameful lowest of the low. The Romans didn't crucify the Roman citizens. They didn't do that because it was considered too shameful for a Roman citizen to be crucified. Who amongst us would ever pick that way as the way of redemption? We would not. And that's what he's saying. So he's trying to use that to say to them, you're looking at things from a human perspective, things that you can never understand that way. And as you go into chapter 2, he's going to say, this is a mystery. It's a mystery that has been revealed. What's the definition of a mystery in Scripture? Yeah, it's a hidden or it's a thing that only God can reveal. 
So it's a, it's a, yeah, a secret or something that is divinely revealed. That's the actual definition of the word. So if you understand the cross of Christ, you only understand that because God revealed it to you. That's what he's going to say. He says, Jews ask for signs. Greeks looks, look for wisdom. But this wisdom of God, the cross of Christ, is foolishness to them. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Greeks. That's what he said to Peter, wasn't it? Flesh and blood is not revealed. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. So how is God's wisdom, according to these verses, how is God's wisdom primarily revealed? In the cross of Christ. In the cross of Christ. It's revealed primarily. Now, who won't understand that? According to him, according to him in this chapter, who will not understand this wisdom of God? The natural man. The natural man. And he divides them into two categories. Actually, there are three categories spoken about of people in this chapter. What are they? Yeah, but just, yeah, those two. But he talks about Jews, he talks about Greeks or Gentiles, and then there's another category. Who's the other category? Just from these, th- from these verses, look. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, um, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, the called. There are a group of people called the called, named the called. And we talked about that all last week. Who are the called? We are, but yeah, <laughs> believers. But what does that mean? What does it mean? You are part of a group called the called. What does it mean? We were chosen. It means you were chosen. How do you know you were chosen? Yeah, because it says so. Yeah, I know. I know, Wendy. Yeah, you know you were chosen because you responded to the call. Because His Spirit witnesses with our spirit. Yes. But just, I, I want just to try, just, we're going to try for a moment to take ourselves out of the picture. It's really hard, I know, but we're going to pull ourselves out of the picture. What God says is, you responded to his call yeah. because you were chosen. When were you chosen? Before the foundation of the world. Did you know that before you responded to the call? No, you didn't. You only knew it when you read it in Ephesians and in the New Testament. So... What difference did it make to you that you were chosen before the foundation of the world? I don't mean now, what difference. I mean, what difference did it make to you before you believed? None. It didn't make any difference to you. You heard the gospel and you believed it. And that's your part. You believed it. You had to believe it. You had to believe, receive it by faith. And then you found out, God chose me before the foundation of the world. How does that work? And then you went around in circles for two years or 10 years or 50 years trying to work it out. And in the end, you couldn't. So what did you have to come to? What did you come to at the end? God chose me before the foundation of the world. He chose me before he even made the world. And he put me into a group of people called the called. And that's where I stayed. Before I was born, I was part of that group. I had no idea about it. And one day, he was pleased, Paul will say later, to to reveal his son in me. He was pleased to let me believe, receive the power of salvation through the gospel. And when I found that out, when I received the truth, 
I then started to study his word, and what I found was I was chosen before the foundation of the world. What does he expect from me? This is so, I mean, I know you know this, you know this, but it is so important that we understand why God revealed this mystery to us. Why did he reveal to you that you were chosen before the foundation of the world? Did he want you to go spinning off like a headless chicken trying to work it out all of your life? No. So why has he revealed it to you? So that you will know that you know that you know that you know that what God began, he will definitely finish. That he chose you before you even knew it, before you were a dot. You weren't even a dot. Nothing was a dot. He chose you, Catherine, before he made the whole world. And then at one point in this time, he decided to wake you up to the fact. And you put your trust in him. And then later on, he told you, I chose you before the foundation of the world. And you couldn't work it out. We cannot work that out. I don't know how it works. But oh God, I am pleased that it does. <laughs> that I can base my assurance on that fact. Because what does that mean, actually? I don't want to spend time back there because we spent so long there last week. But what does it mean that you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world? What difference does that make to the way you live your life? What's your overriding feeling? Gratitude. Gratitude. What else? Security. What else? Confidence. confidence. That should fill you with confidence. What else? And I know, see, I know everybody's jumping up and down, but aren't we supposed to do something? I mean, really, is that right? Because I know Mrs. Smith, and she says she believes, but she doesn't live like she believes. So what's all that about? Just forget everybody else. Think about you. You believe in Jesus Christ. You came to him. You put your trust in him. You didn't know he'd chosen you before. You thought you were coming and putting your trust in him, and you've received his spirit. And by the grace of God, he then told you this chosen before the foundation of the world. Why? That's an act of his grace that he would tell you that. That's an act of his mercy and love that he would give you that assurance. Now what does he expect you to do with it? What will you do with that assurance? Yeah, pass it on. But what will it first do in you? It will make you cry. It will make you cry because you can't believe the magnitude of it. That God would be so gracious not just to save you, but to tell you that he did it before you were born. To give you the assurance that he's going to finish what he began. And it will make you weep that God would do that for you. But then when you get up, it will make you want with every ounce of your being to live a life that pleases him. To live a life that pleases him. In May, we're doing the next conference after this one on Saturday, well, up from the weekend. We're doing a conference called Finally Free. Let me tell you, you and I, we know the truth of this. We have a massive responsibility to tell other believers that you are free free in Christ Jesus, that you can live with joy and peace, that this life is for you. It's not perfect. It's hard. There will be suffering, but you can live a free, a life of freedom. Freedom from yourself, freedom from the world, freedom from the enemy. You can live like that if you stand on the solid rock of God's revealed truth. 
Honestly, we have such, there are so many believers who don't know what you know. They just don't know it. If you don't know that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, what will happen? No You'll have no assurance. But what will that mean, actually? In real, what does that mean in shoe leather? Yeah, but even forget that. Anne. It, yes, that's wonderful, and that's going to happen. But what will happen in real terms in your life? Every time you make a mistake, you'll wonder if you're saved. Yeah. Will I be saved tomorrow? Mm. Will I be saved the next day? Will I be saved in ten years' time? Will I know that? Will I actually get to heaven? I mean, I know, and I'm doing my best, but I can't be sure of it. I meet hundreds, hundreds of Christians like that. Hundreds of Christians. Yes, but you see, that assurance that we talk about, we say we have, that assurance has real effect in people's lives. They live in fear. They live afraid of God because he's still that God that they have to please all the time and they have to do things for. Do you see what I mean? It's just, it's this, it's a religion of fear. That's religion. It is. It's a religion of fear. And there are a lot of believers, true believers, who live like that. And that's where the church wants to keep us. Exactly. Uh, yes. So that they can have um, persuasion and power over us. I think so, but I wouldn't like to say that's the church. It's not the body of Christ. The no, body no, of no, Christ, is the, the body of Christ to which we belong, is largely ignorant of these truths. That's the thing. And Paul says, I'm using his word, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. So I'm using his words, that's what he's going to say in Corinthians. Don't be ignorant of these things. Understand the truth. So he's saying that um, the Jews are going to stumble over the cross of Christ. Why will the Jews stumble over the cross of Christ? Why will they not be able to believe? They don't recognize the suffering they don't recognize the suffering Messiah, exactly. They want a supernatural, miraculous God, and they want him to sweep in. And actually, before you think, well, that's all wrong, they have a supernatural, miraculous God. He took them out of Egypt by miraculous signs. He parted the Red Sea. He, he got them, the walls of Jericho fell down. Every point in their history is miraculous. So they wanted it Exactly, so they wanted that that they could see that miraculous saviour and he didn't look like a man on a cross. He didn't look like their saviour. And as um, Simon said, they didn't understand fully Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22 that talk about the fact that their Messiah would come and have to suffer. What about the Greeks? Why do they think that cross is foolishness? Too simple. Too simple. Too simple and... There's no wisdom in the cross. Where's the wisdom in a dead saviour? There's no wisdom in it. That's the thing. So they look at that and they can't see the wisdom. If God is truly God, why didn't he come on a blazing chariot of fire? If God is really God, why didn't Jesus wander around through the whole of the world teaching these wonderful intellectual things, speaking on a much higher plane than everybody else? Why didn't their Messiah, come, this Saviour, come like that? He came like a servant. He came like a slave. He died the death of a criminal. That does not look like wisdom. It looks like complete foolishness. Yes, yes. 
He, 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 it looks like foolishness. And he will then call on three types of people. He, he does another, another sort of rhetorical question. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And because what he wants to bring them to is all of your wisdom, in all of your debating, in all of your being a teacher or a scribe, did that get you any closer to God? Did that bring you into any sort of familiarity with God? Did all of your wisdom bring you to God? No, it did not. It did not. None of it. And that's what he's going to do. Has not God... Of course. <laughs> no, it's not difficult. I never choose somebody with no experience to go to the same hall. No. But Jesus didn't. Yes. 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 So he's not suggesting that they don't know anything at all, these Greeks. He's just telling them that they're, what they do know is the opposite of God's wisdom. He's not telling them that you're fools, because they're obviously not fools. They're, they're learned people. They, they're, they're, they value their intellect and their education. They value those things. But he's going to tell them that that's not going to get you anywhere near God. It's not going to get... But I want to know what is, what's the relevance to us? People like that today. Yes, yes. But what about us, generally? Just you and me. I mean, let's get personal. What's the difference to you and me? Think about it. Think about your understanding of God. Knowing God. Think about you knowing God. How will you know God? I know, sorry, because my mind's sometimes a bit weird, I know, but, you know, Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that you might know him, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Okay, so tell me, how would you ever know God? Reading scripture. Yes, reading scripture. But if he doesn't reveal himself to you, you are dead in the water. You can read this Bible from Genesis to Revelation and back again and not know God. And many people do. Many people do. So what he's saying is everything you know about God, you know because he revealed it to you. Every single thing about God you know only because he revealed it to you. And he revealed himself to you in the cross of Jesus Christ. Not in the manger of Christ, not in the life of Christ, not even in the resurrection of Christ. What he's saying is, it is the cross of Jesus Christ that is the wisdom of God. And you have to come to that cross to receive the wisdom of God. Now that must mean more than Christ's death on the cross. Do you see what I mean? So if I asked you, let me say this, if I asked you, what did, well, I don't have to, you could, don't have to make it up, you can read. What did God accomplish for us in the cross of Jesus? It says so in this, um, in chapter one at the end. Restoring us to a fellowship with him. Yeah, what would you call that? Yeah, what would you call it? He accomplished the redemption of mankind in the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ died for everybody. So he accomplished the redemption of mankind. In fact, he'll say that. Christ has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God accomplished that in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you want wisdom and you want redemption and you want sanctification and you want righteousness, where is it found? In the cross of Christ. So when he says you've got righteousness in the cross of Christ, what does he mean? 
What does it mean to be righteous? If you've got righteousness, it means you're in right standing with God. You've been justified, right? He says you've got sanctification. What's sanctification? Holiness. Holiness. Where do you get holiness? Where do you get holiness? According to this chapter, you get holiness in the cross of Christ. Where do you get redemption? What is redemption? Yeah, brought back. But when he talks about redemption, what does he actually mean? He said righteousness, which is justification. He says sanctification, which is holiness. And then he's saying redemption. What's he looking forward to, do you think? Yeah, the final redemption. (coughs) He's talking about glorification. He's encompassing the whole of our salvation in one sentence. And what he's saying is the whole of it is accomplished in the cross of Jesus Christ. Glorification, the final redemption of our bodies, which he's going to talk about in in chapter 15. But, But what he's pointing them to is it's all about the cross. So tell me, if I were to ask you, what does the cross mean to you? Or what do you what is your view of the cross of Jesus Christ? That's a bit of a vague question. What is um yeah, if you had to explain salvation, how would you explain it? Or redemption? Or what did you, what did you what did you receive in the cross of Christ? I can't say that sentence that question any other way. So Great. someone try and answer. Victory. Yeah, victory. All of those things. I'm going to give you this this definition. You tell me if you agree with it. So uh, my question is, what is your view of the cross of Christ? This is a definition. The crucifixion of Christ was a once-for-all substitution of the Son of God in my place so that I would not have to suffer but could enjoy the abundant life that he purchased for me. Don't answer, just think about that definition. The crucifixion of Christ was a once-for-all substitution of the Son of God in my place so that I would not have to suffer but could enjoy the abundant life that he purchased for me. Before you answer, that is a common understanding in our day, and it is wrong. That is the common thing. Christ died so that I don't have to. I mean, I've said that. Christ died that I don't have to. It's not true. So how come we believe that? Somebody read Luke 9, verse 23. Christ died that I don't have to. Christ suffered that I can receive this abundant life. <coughs> the, uh, yeah, Luke 9, 23. No. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Thank you. If anyone would come after me, he was, must take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Jesus saying. And yet we believe that Christ died so I don't have to. Galatians 2, verse 20. Someone read Galatians 2, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That begins with, I have been crucified with Christ. What did Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. 
What does it mean that the whole of your salvation hinges on the cross of Christ? What did Jesus save you from? Sin. He saved you from your sin. From myself. From yourself. What else? Satan. From Satan. From Satan's kingdom. What else? God's wrath. God's wrath. He took it upon himself. He saved you from hell. But he didn't save you from death. Yes, of course. Your spirit now lives eternally. But there has to be a death going on. Where does the death go on? The old man. The death to the old man. You must pick up your cross and follow me. What did Christ die to? Follow me. How did Christ die? What did he die to? Self. He died to himself. When did he die to himself? On the cross, of course. But where was the decision made? Let this cup pass from me. Yeah, exactly. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He became obedient, Philippians chapter 2. He became obedient to the point of death. We are called to follow Jesus. And we have to follow him through death and burial and resurrection. And we are looking forward to an inheritance that is wonderful, but it's not all here. Yeah. Ephesians 1, verse 13. Could somebody read that, that verse? I think it's 13 and 14, actually. 13 and 14. Yeah. In him, you also, mm. after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, the Holy Spirit promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Thank you. Of his glory. Thank you. Okay. You were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, as a down payment, as an earnest of our inheritance. What does that mean? You have the Holy Spirit. He is given to you as a down payment for your inheritance. What does that mean in real terms? Do you have the whole of your inheritance? No, you have the down payment. You have, so you're looking forward. And in case you're thinking, but Christ promised us abundant life. Yes, he did. He promised us abundant life. But that abundant life is only fully abundant when we go to be with him. So... He, for Christ himself on this planet, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, or just verse 2 actually, could somebody read Hebrews 12, verse 2? Um. Looking unto Jesus, something. Yes. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before That's it. endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus do? He looked at the joy that was set before him. Not the joy that he had here, not the joy in his obedience to his Father, not the blessing of having peace and joy, knowing he was doing the Father's will, not the uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but for a joy that was beyond the cross, beyond his death, do you see what I mean? So now we say we follow him, but we want him to take away all that bad stuff so that I can just have all the good stuff. 
I want all the abundant life, but I definitely don't want any death. That's where we are in the church. Why is Paul taking all this time to talk about the cross of Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God that's found in the, in the cross? Because he's writing to a whole group of believers who do not understand that they must die to themselves. They have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Do you see what I mean? And it's not just not doing what you know not to do. It's not just getting, not getting drunk. It's not just not being promiscuous. Paul will say, that's, I mean, that's just such basic stuff. If you haven't let that go already, I mean, you're in trouble. He's talking about the death to yourself, the, the you that is constantly pulling you back into the world that you have been redeemed out of. And you have to die to that. Now, we have a church full of people. I'm sorry, but we have a church full of people who do not understand that they have to die to themselves. That the cross is not a past tense thing. It is a present tense reality in their life. You must come to the cross and you have to come every day. I have to come every day. I don't think of it that way because that's just not the way my mind works. But I have to die to myself. And it's the hardest one you've done because it's constant. Exactly. It's constant. It's constant. Yes. No, because there's another layer and another layer and another layer. Why does Paul say every day, lay aside the old man, put on the new man? Every day, put to death the deeds of your flesh because your flesh is strong. Your human nature is very strong and it will pull you back every chance it gets. And it will come in all sorts of ways at you. So you have to actively do battle with your flesh by the Spirit. And you can't, you can't crucify yourself. Of course not. You, you can't do that. God did that. Romans chapter 6 said that, that when Christ died, you died. And when he was buried, you were buried. And when he was raised, you were raised. And that all happened spiritually. And that's the joy that's set before you. That's what you're looking forward to. But right now, you must die to yourself. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I know you know this. But it's how it looks in real life. What does it look like? Because to those Corinthians, they were a million miles from dying to themselves. There, he, he's going to talk about them as carnal Christians, as babies. <coughs> it's where you get the word selfish, isn't it? You're selfish. Yeah, self. Yeah. It's all about me. So what, what does it mean then, actually, that I have to daily pick up my cross and follow Christ? What does it mean that I have a down payment of my inheritance and not the fullness of it? There's work to be done. There's work to be done. What does that mean, actually, that there's work to be done? Because see, see how he started this letter? He started with, it's all about God, and it's not about you, and God chose you, and isn't that wonderful? He chose you before the foundation of the world, and he's going to finish what he started. And you thought, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I can just sit back and enjoy. I know. So now he's saying, but the cross of Christ is a present tense reality in your life. And you have to come to that cross all the time. It's the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. 
It's all about the cross of Christ. Well, so, so how are you doing with that then? Oh, sorry. Look, how am I doing with that then? How am I doing with that? You know. It gives us an incentive to endure. endure because there's, there's hope for the future. Yes. Yes. He says we, he's given us a down payment. The joy set before us, yes. yeah. Yeah. But we still have to endure. But why will you die to yourself, Anne? Why will you do that? Why will you take off the old man and put on the new? Yes, the glory of God. And also, because you believe it will be so much better. Because you believe it will be so much better. How will you know that it's so much better? Yeah, but how will you know that? Yes, but how will you know that? You'll only know it when you do it. You'll only know that it's better when you do it. Up until then, you can say you believe that it will be better, but until you do it, you won't know. But deny our family and things like that is not going to be easy. Yeah. Deny them if they're not Christian. Yeah, I think actually, yeah, and that's another that's another subject, Mark. But I think he's concentrating and will concentrate on you deny yourself. Deny yourself because your biggest enemy is yourself. The, the biggest thing, the, the screaming in your head, the pulling in your flesh, the biggest enemy you have is you, the old you. And you have to die to that you every day. You have to keep... Yes, well, you're always on your own shoulder, John. You know, there's... And look at you. You're all intelligent, articulate people. <coughs> well, most of you. you know. <laughs> And you, you understand all these words. You even understand the concepts because you've been studying the Bible for a long time, reading the Bible. You know what this means. You've heard Jesus say you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow me, and you've figured out what that means. You know that. I'm not saying anything new. But you look at how hard it is. How hard is that? Now imagine you've come to Christ in, in the last five years. And you've gone to a church that's huge, let's say huge, and nobody disciples you. Nobody sits with you and says, you, you, you know, you've got an old nature that is going to pull you away from God. <coughs> what? You're never going to understand about dying to yourself. You're going to hear the message that Christ died in your place, mm. that you don't have to. And you're going to live like that. Well, what, does that, what will that mean for someone who lives like that? What will that mean? Nothing will change, the and old man will still be in charge. the old man is still in charge, and exactly, and but just think about you, think about you, if you don't know that you have to do battle with yourself, that yourself is out to get you, that you have to fight the good fight, you're not fighting your own self, what will happen? I know, just think about you. You will be sad and depressed and in despair most of your life. Why? Because you cannot get hold of what you thought there was going to be. I thought there was going to be life. I thought there was going to be joy. I thought I would have peace. But I've still got the old me. I don't know where to go. Do you see what I mean? It's not just that you won't glorify God. 
Of course, that's important. But even come back, come back right down to the basic of, basis of it. You will live an unfulfilled, unsatisfied life because you have not ever been told that you have a human nature that needs to be put to death. Because you've been told that everything was accomplished for you and given to you. And that you can just receive it. <coughs> and there's no battle to go on. And that's the point. That's why Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Not because he wants you all to suffer, but because he wants you to have joy. Exactly. The only way to it is to do that. The only way to real joy. But now even as I say that, I want to pull the words back. Because I think that sounds ridiculous. That sounds like foolishness. It sounds like... Exactly. It sounds like human foolishness. So therefore I know that that is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is that in me denying myself and dying to myself and doing battle with myself and not blaming everything on the enemy of my soul, actually taking accountability for the fact that I actually like a bit of pride and I want to boast a bit about myself. And you know what? I actually like um, gossiping a little bit about other people because you know it makes me feel better. It's taking responsibility and being accountable for the fact that my flesh is sinful and corrupt and that I have to do it to death. It is. It is strong. And so it's this layering all the time. It's onion, you know, this other layer and this other layer and this other layer. And when you're shown it, when you're shown it, you've got two choices. I'm standing here saying things to you and, and I don't know what your things are. I don't know what yourself is pulling you to, but I know it's pulling you because mm -hmm. I know it's pulling, my, myself is pulling me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you've got to fight to get rid of, but I know it'll hurt and I know it'll be hard. Mm -hmm. And I know that God will keep bringing you back to that same place until you decide to put that to death. And uh, the other thing I know is that it will be better than I have even got words to explain. It will be better when you die to yourself. <laughs> Why is he saying all this to them? I mean, he's not saying all of that. I'm saying all of that. But, you know, why is he saying, um, he's going to go on to say that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the <coughs> power of God. He uses power synonymously with wisdom and synonymously with the cross of Christ. What comes through the cross of Christ to your life when you decide that you will believe that you have to pick up your cross and follow Christ daily? And when you determine, come what may, I am going to put to death the deeds of my flesh, what will God remind you of over and over and over again? That it's his power that will enable you to do it. It's his power that will bring you through. It's him who will give you the wisdom to discern which way to go. It's all about him. You just have to come every day to the cross and he will do everything else. But you won't find that out until you come. That's the thing. Will you come to the cross? You know, it's, that's it. 
Will you come there and will you say, I believe my human nature is at work and it's trying to pull me from you. So I want rid of it. That's why I suppose you have to Exactly, exactly. We're just thinking about some of the things I've come through. And when you come through them once, the next time something crops up, yeah. you have, you still struggle, but you have a, a, yeah, a victory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That you'll come through. Yes, yes, because you've tasted victory before. Yeah. 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 But think about it, really, I'm, I mean this sincerely, because we live in a, in a whole world, well, we live in a world that's dark, but we live in a church that does not think about these things, it really doesn't think about these things. It is. But the reason they don't think about them is because they're applying human wisdom to what they're hearing. So you, when you apply human wisdom to this, it sounds completely ridiculous. Well, Christ died for me, so I don't have to die. What, are you going to tell me I've got to live a certain way and I've got to keep the rules and I've got to do this now and I've got to do that? That's nonsense. I don't have to keep the law. I don't have to do these things. Christ is going to take me home. He's going to prepare a place for me. Do you see what I mean? It's because, and if you're not told those things, there is an ocean of joy that you never experience. There's a, a, a whole, I, I can only think of ocean, there's a whole galaxy of peace and blessing that you never receive and you live your whole life desperate desperate just we were talking upstairs and uh, I was saying I think I've said here before I don't think there are many days I don't wake up feeling low I feel low in the morning it's just my thing I feel low in the morning sometimes I feel much lower than other times I don't know why that is it's just who I am but I have to fight who I am because that's not the real new me. That is not the new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the old me. And that old me will pull me right down. And if I don't fight in the morning and put that old me to death, it will stay with me all day and pull me and pull me and pull me and pull me until by the time the evening comes, I just can't think of one reason why I should pray or read my Bible or anything. That's what my old man does. And it starts in the morning. Now that's not the enemy. That's me. <coughs> of course the enemy uses it and he uses all sorts of things. Mm. But that's me. I don't know what you're thinking. Do you wake up bright and breezy in the morning? No. Or do you wake up low? What it, you know, wh how do you wake up? And then what do you do when you go downstairs? And how do you face your day? And what thoughts flood into your mind? And, and through your day, what thoughts flood in? And how do you cope with those thoughts? What do you say to yourself? Because, you know, you look at Psalm 42, I think it is, David will say in 42 and 43, he'll say, why are you in despair, O my soul? It's like, well, why are you in despair? Trust in God. Wait on him only. I have to speak to my soul, if you like, every morning. And if I don't, the old me takes over. I'd love to say that was the enemy. I'd love to say that was Satan and his fiery darts. But it's not. It's me. It's me. This is so encouraging, Anne, because, you know, 
Yes. 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 It is a battle. It is a battle. It is. It is. Because your humanness doesn't want to do that. The old you does not want to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And all the things, all the thoughts, all the stuff of your life comes crowding in. <coughs> and you, and you, we have to battle it. We've got to battle it. And that's putting to death the old man. That's just as much picking up your cross mm-hmm. as not watching pornography on the TV or on the internet. Not on the TV, you know, it's not on the TV yet, but oh, on the internet. Awesome. Well, anyway, don't tell me, don't tell me, but it's on, <laughs> it, on the internet. So that's just as much it as not getting drunk every night. Mm. It's the same. It's the same old me pulling me away from the new me that I am in Christ Jesus. It's the same old me not wanting me to know the joy that there is for me in Christ Jesus. And I have to fight that old me all the time. And so do you. You have to bring it to the cross. Yes, all the time. <coughs> yes, all the time. What's true about you and Satan right now? This moment, what's true about you and Satan? Well, in Christ Jesus, we have yes, in Christ Jesus, you're seated high above all rule and authority in every name that is named in this age and the age to come. There is no power or dominion in all of the eternity that is able to touch you unless God allows it. Mm. So you are primarily the person giving Satan entrance into your life. And so now when you think about that, don't blame Satan, blame yourself. Blame yourself for opening doors and opening windows and opening avenues for him to come. I'm not saying that Satan doesn't do. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, of course. But, the, <coughs> but First Peter chapter 1 tells us that we are protected through, by the power of God through faith. We are protected by the power of God through faith. So that means that God is protecting me by his power through the channel of my faith. In Jude, verse 1, it says that we are beloved of God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. That word kept means preserved, protected, held onto, guarded over, watched over. That's how I'm protected. So the only way that Satan has real access to me is through my opening doors for him. Now, I'm not saying that's the, you know, actually I did say it's the only way. I don't want to say it's the only way. It is the major way that Satan has access to me. Jude, first one. So, um, the cross, what, what Paul is trying to get set them up for here, because what's happening in the church in Corinth? You tell me, just because you read through it, didn't you? What's happening in the church in Corinth? They've got these divisions. What else? Immorality. Immorality. What else? Well, I suppose that's enough. Division and immorality. That will do for now. <laughs> Disregard for his teaching. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And, and, and so um, he wants to tell them about a way to defeat all of that. To defeat it. And the way is to come to the cross every day. Not to think of it as, an, as I say, a past tense thing in your life, but to think of it as a daily resource. Why is it a daily resource in your life? We're nearly finished, I know you. 
Yeah, we need it, but why is it a daily resource? Think about the words he used in this chapter synonymously with the cross of Christ. He used the wisdom of God is in the cross of Christ. He used the power of God is in the cross of Christ. What do you think you need to defeat your flesh? You need wisdom and you need the power of God. Where is it? It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's there. And it's when you come to that cross and understand you must pick up your cross and follow him. And follow him. They were leaving it behind. They were saying, I'm saved by the, by the cross of Christ and now I'm going to live this way. When you say that, what are you actually doing? I mean, I know you all know what you're doing because we've said it a million times, but what else are you doing? Putting yourself back on the throne. Yes, you are doing that, yes. But what you're doing is denying, mm-hmm. denying the power of God, mm-hmm. denying the wisdom of God. You're saying, that can't be right, so I'm living this way. Yes, yes. <coughs> you're saying, I, I don't understand how that will work. So therefore, it can't be right. Or it's just words that we read. So yes. Sadly, in church. I know. So what have you got to do? We're going to finish early, so don't worry. We are finishing early. What have you got to do? You have to pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. I don't know what that will look like in your life, but I suggest you write it down. Mm. Write down what that will look like in your life. You know, I, I'm always telling you about myself. I struggle with pride. I do. And so do you. Because pride is the fundamental <coughs> sin in, in the human race. You suffer from it and so do I. Mm-hmm. And I have to battle it. And it rears its ugly head very often. And I always think, I thought I was done with that. Mm-hmm. I thought I was done with that. Mm-hmm. And back it comes. It's back it comes. Condition, it? Yeah. It's, but, it, but yes, it is, but it's not my condition no. because I'm a new creation. <laughs> so yeah, I have to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to put to death this week? <laughs> what are you going to bring to the cross this week? The old man. The old man, yeah. That's a very broad statement. Greed. You're going to put to death greed. That's what you're going to do. Why? No, don't be. You don't have to get personal. But why would you put that to death? Because it'll feel good. Yes, perfect answer. Because it will feel wonderful when you do that. How will you do that? See, you've answered, Catherine. Exactly by the power of God and the wisdom of God that has come to you through the cross of Jesus Christ, and and it will be once you decide it, you will do it, because the the battle's in your head. It's in your head or in your will. It's that's where it is. That's where you decide. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Any questions? Oh, absolutely. Don't you think? Well, he said I came to you in weakness and much trembling, and I didn't come with pers- persuasive words. I came only with the cross of Christ. I love him, you know, and, and, and I know that I would have been, I'm on Paul's side, you know, well, hopefully I would have been on Christ's, but yeah. if it had to be second, it would be Paul. I think his writing is amazing. I think he's amazing. I would love to have known him because I just think, I mean, what a person. What a person. And for him to say, 
I came in weakness and trembling and much fear. When he had all this background yeah. as a rabbi. Exactly. He had a wonderful background. Mm. Mm, maybe. Well, you just, you just go more of a failure when you get it wrong. Oh, right. Mm. Yeah, I guess we could all identify with that, Maria. Mm. You know, we all get it wrong a lot. Yeah. But thank God he didn't. Yeah. He got it right. But is that where the enemy can come in? Because he wants to knock us down. Yeah, yeah of course. Of door. course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you allow it. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. But you must fight that. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I did fall down and I am a failure. Yes, I am. I, I freely admit it. I'm a failure. If it's up to me, I'll never get there. Never. That's the thing. That's it. And there's freedom in that. There's such freedom in that that it's just Him. I think it's amazing from verse 26 of chapter 1 through to the end. It actually has situations which I, in my normal life, would Yes. <laughs> of course. Oh, that's the wisdom of God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the foolishness of men and the wisdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Everything you think you know, turn upside down, and that's, that's what's right. Father, thank you that... Um, well, I just thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you that... Thank you that you confound us with that wisdom, Lord God, but thank you that you've revealed it to us. Thank you that the mystery of Jesus has been made known to us. That's just, it's so wonderful, Lord, that I would understand the cross of Jesus, that I would understand that there's power in death to myself, that I would understand that I have been crucified with Christ, but that I must remember that every day and keep on keeping on putting to death the deeds of my flesh, submitting my will to yours, understanding that your wisdom is what I want and that you will enable me to live a life that's pleasing to you. Father, thank you that, um, that you've done that. Thank you that you've opened our eyes. Thank you that you've, you've already shown us what great joy there is in hearing you speak through this word, what amazing freedom there is in it, and, and what peace to know that one day we will stand before you and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Or maybe just come, you know, come here, my child. Whichever it is, Lord God, thank you so much that you will take us to that place and you will enable that to happen as we continually pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Father, for, for your great love. And I ask, Lord, that you would continue to enable us, enable me to put to death the old me, to take off, to lay aside the old me and put on the new, mm. that I might really live in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.